Economia. Solidarietà. Battaglia. Isolation. Connazionali. Geisterspiele. Guerra. So welcome to this podcast. I am Renata Brandom and today we're going to be talking about the discourses differences in terms of defining coronavirus with Anita, Iman and Paula. This is the second episode of the series focusing on the world making in the time of COVID-19 project. We'll be discussing the very different ways in which COVID-19 has been narrated across the world with 12 languages uh, represented by our ambassadors. Now it's time to welcome our guests. They are here to provide expertise and valuable insights into the global narrative of COVID-19. Hi, everybody. My name is Anita, and I've been researching Italian, which is my native language and the language that I'm also very fond of on a linguistic level because it's very expressive and I find it very beautiful and it's been a very enlightening research. Hi everyone, my name is Paul Aptakevich-Baeta. I am not a King student, uh, however I did study languages and linguistics at a London university and now I'm very excited to be a part of this project at King's. I researched Russian and French. Hi everyone, my name is Iman Taleb. Um, I'm researching both Arabic and German. Arabic is my native language and I grew up in Germany, which is why I speak German. Um, and I work in the King's Modern Language Center and I'm a language advisor for Arabic and German. That's great. Thank you for being here. As we well know, the, the COVID-19 pandemic has not been treated the same way around the world and has therefore not been reported the same. Today, we're going to talk about defining coronavirus and defining COVID-19. The COVID-19 pandemic has really expanded our lexicons. What has been the experience for each of your languages? Having researched both the term coronavirus and COVID-19, I've noticed that initially coronavirus obviously wasn't discussed as the coronavirus. Um, it was discussed as a form of pneumonia, specifically a form of pneumonia coming from Wuhan, uh, China. And as it progressed, um, I think it was around the beginning of February where the term COVID-19 was given by the World Health Organization that both in Arabic and German speaking newspapers started using COVID-19 um, to replace the pneumonia from Wuhan. It was funny to observe that Arabic speaking countries, despite not being as developed as German speaking countries, They started using the words given by the World Health Organization uh, much sooner, by two days, which is a lot considering that coronavirus was spoken of hourly. But yes, as initially it started as a, a new form of pneumonia, a pneumonia coming specifically from Wuhan, and then becoming more national, you know, uh, coronavirus from, um, from China. And COVID-19 was the medical term, the scientific way to... Uh, speak of um, coronavirus. But after the after coronavirus has been named as COVID-19, that this is this is both in Arabic and in German. It started being spoken of as the coronavirus, um, whereas we know that coronavirus is a family of viruses, but it, it stopped being specified because of how well known basically the whole problem was becoming. So that people did not need any reminder of, you know, what kind of coronavirus is this. Although I've done completely separate languages from Iman, Russian and French, I found very similar findings. Similarly, the term 
COVID-19 was not used until mid-February for Russian and early February for French. Beforehand, in January, terms such as the Wuhan disease, uh, even the plague, coronavirus, were most commonly used. In Russian, all foreign uh, words that are introduced tend to remain in the Latin script. Uh, however, this time around, um, I think perhaps because it was reaching a, a wider population of people, not only those in Western Russia, but also Eastern Russia, they did actually transliterate the word into Cyrillic, usually exactly um, letter by letter, uh, which was interesting as there's a small population in Russia that do not understand or read the Latin script. So I think this also kind of shows how they were trying to target perhaps the older audience by transliterating these, uh, these terms, which perhaps it wouldn't have reached them otherwise, perhaps showing how important um, the news surrounding COVID-19 uh, were. Okay, so in Italian, very similar findings to Paula and Iman discussed. So there were, in terms of frequency, uh, between coronavirus and COVID-19. Uh, so coronavirus was widely used since the very beginning. So I'm talking about mid-January. And then I started finding COVID-19 only from mid-February. So it took a good month to get to start using uh, widely the, let's say, more scientific term. And uh, in terms of terminology around the disease, I found it was very striking how at the beginning, so let's say January, February, beginning of March, uh, there were a lot of there was a lot of Italian terminology surrounding the disease in the media. And then as the disease spread, um, because Italy was the first country in Europe, in Europe being hit, and then the disease, the disease spread in other European countries, and English became a much more common language. And uh, the English lexicon became actually much more common than the Italian lexicon through March, April and May, which, to be honest, I didn't find that surprising. But first of all, English being a very global language. Uh, but secondly, because Italy in the past 10 years has actually been undertaking a very gradual bastardization of language. So we have actually more and more English lexicon in our official vocabulary. Last week was a big week. Our best known encyclopedia and our best known dictionary have finally announced the, uh, the insertion of new words for the 2021 edition. And uh, for example, the dictionary will have 600 new words in the 2021 edition, 20% of which is going to be related to the pandemic. Also, the, the encyclopedia has released the two lists, uh, one which is called the, um, the words of the pandemic and uh, the other one which is called the words beyond the pandemic. And they have basically put together a list of the new words, especially that are directly related to the pandemic and uh, words that we have used uh, to reflect on the pandemic and to express our lives during the pandemic as well. Sorry, I just wanted to add, I also found it really interesting that in Arabic, when, I mean, initially, when the virus was spoken of as relating to Wuhan, it was never spoken of as if the virus was Wuhanese, if you know what I mean, as in what was said was that the virus currently in Wuhan. And whereas, for example, in, in German, you just say Wuhan virus, you know, um, which could mean many things, but I liked 
um, the distinction made in Arabic, you know, saying that the virus was in Wuhan, you know, making that intrinsic connection to Wuhan that was separated in in Arabic and that was done very widely. So it's not like I only found one source. Um, I I didn't find it in in German. Um, If I may touch on Anita's point, before we move on, I found it was really interesting what she said about the Italian dictionary because I remember reading something about, I want to say the Oxford English Dictionary, though perhaps it was one another larger dictionaries like Merriam-Webster, about how frequently they review uh, the lexicon and add new words. And because of the pandemic, they decided to review it perhaps twice, not once this year. I may be wrong here, but they reviewed it, I think, in April and again in July. But they actually found that there wasn't that many words that they actually had to add to the dictionary because a lot of the words already existed. We just never had the need to use them, like probably social distancing or perhaps words that we did know and use, but less frequently, like uh, like a pandemic. I don't think I remember myself ever using it before last year, perhaps only in relation to the movies and maybe you know past historical events. But... I think the only word they managed to put into the dictionary that what that they agreed was a newly produced word was COVID-19, so an acronym, because even coronavirus, of course, was in the dictionary before as the umbrella term for all these viruses. And I think they were really, really against putting in any other words that were created as a result of the pandemic, but weren't perhaps elegant enough to put in the dictionary. So words like quarantini, I think, was a word, like where you have a martini during quarantine, and it's a quarantini, and it's kind of day drinking, were not allowed to be put in. And I'm sure there's like thousands of other really interesting words and suffixes that were added to COVID or corona that were created because of this. Actually, if I can add to what Paula said, it was actually, yeah, it, it's pretty much the same in Italian. For that, First of all, yeah, I talked about the English lexicon. So a lot of new words um, that were related to the pandemic came from English, but also some, a lot of new words that came from Italian. But there were also a lot of Italian words that were already quite established, but, then, but that we wouldn't use. For, for many different reasons. Maybe they were a bit outdated or more specific, more technical, or maybe we actually had a couple of words that were very much related to state of emergencies and that basically were never used before because Italy hasn't been in a state of emergency since the Second World War, right? And also as well, like some words that were not that elegant or that were too informal to be put into the dictionary or in the encyclopedia, but that now the pandemic has managed to push into the dictionary. Like one of them is um, media circus, which was very used like in a very, very, very informal way to talk about the excessive amount of news. And now the Devotoli, which is the dictionary brand, uh, has actually announced that it's going to be in the 2021 edition of the dictionary. Sorry, if I can add another thing, because we've been speaking about specific words, I found really interesting that I didn't find anything similar to what Anita and Paula had said in Arabic, because all the words were very much, you know, standard, modern standard Arabic is the the kind of Arabic spoken in, in newspapers and just in professional ways. That's why they don't really use local terms, whereas in, in, in German, I found new words popping up every now and then. And I noted down two that I found uh, quite interesting. One being a verb that says hamstan. Hamstan means literally to hamster. 
and it doesn't make sense literally but what they mean is to panic buy and the reason why is because hamsters are known to stuff their cheeks with food so that they can eat that food at, at a later date and it's just funny to see those words that were kind of dead but not really um, in the German language being so revived through this whole pandemic. So there's revival of old words and then there's creation of new words. Something like Covidioten, which is in English Covidiot, specifically are meant those people that do not abide by coronavirus rules, you know, don't want to wear a mask, and they're referred to as Covidiot whereas it was very much normal and to introduce new words and to be less professional in German newspapers, it was not the case in Arabic at all. But that might also be because the press in most Arabic um, countries is not free and people are not as free to express themselves or to speak about things that they are not assigned to speak about and things they, they can't exercise their own uh, creativity when writing. Yeah, I just, I just, thought that was really interesting and just wanted to add that. It is amazing, this this notion that the pandemic has aggregated so many words, old or new, but also this idea of how how it became generalized in, in the sense that, for example, the coronavirus became, as Iman pointed out, the coronavirus is a type of virus, but it has been, and now it's known as this one specific one. So there is this idea of, we always say that we are all in this together, but it feels like in, in a lot of ways, we are all in this together and it becomes this general kind of thing. And I was wondering if there's any other narrative or discourse in terms of this almost generalization of, of words. And I wonder if, for example, pandemic is going to have the same negative connotation in the future as well. I wonder if there was any discussions in the sense or any sense in the news that, you know, pandemic might be the next negative connotation in the, in the future or any sort of discussion around that, that notion of of plague and pandemic and these kind of, of discussions? Um, so the Black Death was um, discussed both in German and Arabic. In German it's called uh, Pest and in Arabic it's a direct um, translation from Black Death and Motel Eswet. In both German and Arabic, Black Death was not spoken of, well at least I didn't perceive it to be spoken of in a way so as to, you know, create a bit more panic or um, fear among the general um, public, uh, but rather it was discussed to, to, to basically make coronavirus, it's just to make it more, not necessarily acceptable, but real to the people, as in, this is not something new, this has happened before, and the measures that we are taking now, we have already also taken in the past. Um, a lot of people with the coronavirus had many problems understanding things such as quarantine, uh, social distancing, and in, in German there were art articles, I've said this was especially the case on Sundays because on Sundays no German newspaper uh, reported any news despite there being news, um, rather they took the day off to uh, reflect, to discuss, uh, to think about the future, whereas that was not the case in, in, in Arabic. So when they spoke of the Black Death on Sundays, there were articles discussing how even back then what people used to do was, you know, quarantine themselves, isolate themselves from other people 
when they found out that they were sick. And just these kind of, just the measures that we're taking now uh, with regard to, to coronavirus that are new to us, they are not actually new to human history. In Arabic, the concept of quarantine comes from the medical scientist Ibn Sina, who's He's from the Middle East, and his theory of quarantine was supposed to be based on 40 days of quarantining, which is where the word quarantine comes from, because there is a mention of four. In Arabic, obviously, if there's any kind of way that they can, you know, show that <laughs> they originated a, a concept or a method, they will, they will try and do so, which is also why I found out about this. Um, okay, so uh, in Italian, uh, first of all, it's, uh, the situation was a bit different in the sense that the situation around the, the COVID pandemic was not compared to other historical medical emergencies or health emergencies, but it was more compared to uh, the idea of war. And especially because we, I think at least, um, because we have a slightly older population like our average age our national average age is quite high so we actually still have a lot of you know like grandmas grandpas and that kind of generation that has still very vivid memories of the war i remember like initially when uh, when they were talking about how the pandemic how serious the pandemic was going to be or, or was already they had a lot of interviews with elder people maybe also like 90 or 18 90 years old uh, and they would be oh yeah but like this is nothing compared to the war right uh, so you know we're gonna get through this so um, there was a lot of comparison to a war kind of situation rather than an actual medical emergency which actually made the people panic even more and that's also the rhetoric that the media used to talk about the pandemic in the very beginning I think that using the right terminology is really important in this kind of situations. So to be able to give people the right information as well and uh, the right tools to react appropriately to the situation, let's say. And um, something that I found uh, on, on a linguistic le level is that from the very beginning, from January, let's say February to May, June, the narrative around uh, because we used to headlines while mining and while researching we use coronavirus and COVID-19 and the linguistic narrative around the coronavirus in Italian was much more focused on uh, on the general situation and much more focused on the also on the emotional the creative on, on the social while COVID-19 was uh, pretty much focused only on technical terms, on reporting, on, uh, on the medical emergency and on the more specific struggles. So yeah, and I found that in, the, in my findings with coronavirus as a headline, that's actually where I found uh, a narrative that uh, was, that was uh, following more the idea of panic, for example, panic or, or paura, which was fear, um, or also like the idea, um, like expressing uh, for example, concern around uh, around the idea of families and um, emotional distress. So, so more like more more focused on the social. While COVID nineteen, I think that in my findings, the first time that I found uh, more of a general word because I because I followed it quite closely because I was very interested in it. I remember finding the word affetto, which means affection, for the first time 
in at the end of April. And so while before there was actually no sign of words that were related to to more general or social condition in COVID-19. Going into a, a different direction, I guess. I was wondering if we could discuss a little bit about the, the entire discussion around the gender of the coronavirus. There was a massive discussion about how the, the official council for French language has ruled that COVID is feminine, which ignited a, a debate on the language and gender of coronavirus. What does this mean to each of your languages and how has this been um, been translated into discourse and narrative and everything in between? Um, I guess I'll start as I did a bit of researching for French. Yes, that is correct. There was a lot of uproar when the official guardians of the French language decided that uh, COVID-19 is feminine, so it's going to be used with the article la, not le, which is also very odd since the umbrella term for all of for coronavirus generally is masculine. So I'm not exactly sure where they've got the idea what their thoughts were behind it. They are a little secretive as a group, I have to admit. They didn't really let out any of the ideas behind their decision to the public. And they're kind of always known as notoriously conservative because they only allowed some feminine variations of words into the general French language only last year, for instance, professions. So like for doctor and teacher, for instance. So I have to say that I wasn't surprised that there was going to be an argument surrounding this as the French do generally like to argue about their language, um, especially when it relates back to the, the guardians of the French language. However, it was definitely interesting to see it all blow up over the internet. I can't say much um, with regard to that for Arabic and German. In Arabic, COVID-19 was mostly spoken of in brackets after coronavirus, I guess, to, you know, make it specific. Um, because, like I said, coronavirus is a family of viruses. In Arabic, funnily enough, when they spoke of COVID-19, almost all the time they used the English way to write COVID-19, and the rest of the article was in Arabic. <laughs> But I know that coronavirus in Arabic is masculine. The reason why being that the you know second part of the word virus is masculine in Arabic and in German it's neutral because that's a virus which means the in a neutral way because you have der and you have and you have die so coronavirus in German was neutral but in Arabic it was masculine. So yeah, it was quite a big debate in Italy as well. In Italian now the common usage is. Um, having coronavirus as, and, co and the COVID-19 as masculine terms, so using the article il. Uh, but actually, the, yeah, our linguistics institute, National Linguistics Institution, has released several articles because they were very frustrated about this because it's actually the masculine form is actually Uh, grammatically incorrect because it should be feminine in the sense that the um, original name of the disease comes from English and uh, the direct translation from English to Italian translates into a feminine form. So coronavirus and COVID-19 should be feminine. So using the article la. But the problem is that the media and the newspaper started 
misusing or let's say misgendering the disease, uh, mainly because I read there was a lot of confusion between uh, which one was the disease and which one was the virus, because virus in Italian is masculine and disease, which is malattia is in Italian, is feminine. So COVID-19 is the disease, while the virus is actually uh, SARS-CoV-2 and that is supposed to be masculine. So apparently they have given up on this, also because the Ministry of Health has given up on this, in the sense that the first couple of months, the first few uh, press conferences and um, decrees that they would release, they used the feminine um, articles and terms for coronavirus, but then as people, as they realized that people were commonly using the masculine terms, also the Ministry of Health and our government switched to the masculine form, which basically made it quite official, although it's uh, not grammatically correct. But uh, scientific papers and uh, reports in Italian still use the um, feminine form for the disease. If I may add, and I realized earlier I didn't discuss Russian, although there wasn't much to discuss on a linguistic level as coronavirus uh, appeared as a masculine noun and it was used as such throughout uh, the whole pandemic and until now in the news. Most foreign words that come into Russian tend to become masculine and it is quite similar with Polish. I know it's not a language we research, but if I may, um, there was a bit of a argument uh, within the Polish media because the word coronavirus comes from the uh, Latin root corona and it should be coronavirus with an A in, in the middle of the word but often um, within the media it would have it would be um, said as uh, coronavirus with an o in the middle instead and um, I guess a lot of linguist nerds I don't know those who are a little maybe overcorrect about this uh, didn't like it I, I think it only comes from the fact that um, it is a foreign borrowed word used mostly within kind of Anglo-Saxon media which is where most of our borrowings tend to be from. We have a large amount of borrowings from, of course, Latin as a root, but also German and Russian. But nowadays, of course, it's all from English. So I think it just was easier to use uh, within your daily dialogue as coronavirus and not coronavirus. I'm not sure why, but that was something that was definitely discussed. That is, it's very interesting. And it brings us to our third topic, which is something to do with with where the languages come from there has been this persistent idea of this message that we are in we are all in this together as i said earlier on but my question to you is how global is really this pandemic and how global has this narrative around the coronavirus been in each of your languages yes so in the italian media it was it's actually wasn't global at all. Uh, the narrative very much focused on the national situation. It was very internal. And um, from my findings, for example, the word nazionale and nazione, so national and nation, were always of much higher frequency uh, compared to internazionale, international, or globale, global. Yeah, so pretty much throughout the entire peak of the pandemic the focus was pretty much on Italy and uh, 
it started being a little bit of Europe on Europe uh, once uh, the once uh, COVID nineteen spread, especially towards the UK. I think that there was quite a lot of attention uh, to the UK. But then we started having a few problems with Europe in the sense where we had um, we had quite a few issues in terms of medical resources, like public health care resources, actually. Um, hospitals that were overcrowded. And so our government appealed to Europe for help. And uh, I think that in um, that sense, uh, the idea of we're all in this together was used quite strategically. Um, for me, in Arabic, the narration was very much global. The virus was spoken of, like I said, initially as something that came from China and this many people have now died and this many people are now have now have coronavirus and as it progressed on to different countries. I'll, I'll just give a few examples so that you know what, what I mean with global. Things like, oh, now, you know, Egypt has confirmed its first case or this country has confirmed its first case and what was especially newsworthy was the first case first death uh, that happened in a country it was also when the when coronavirus did not hit the arabic countries that's when the narration was very global but as soon as it became local then yes there was still talk of you know this and that many people have died but now it became like, oh, 500 people have died all over the world now uh, from coronavirus instead of making it specific to a specific country. Um, in, in Germany, the narration was also global um, initially, though the same thing happened when it became localized. Then, you know, the concern of the people and of the officials became much more, you know, just thinking about what can we do so that this doesn't affect too many of us, you know instead of being merely you know reporting what's happening in the world as like bystanders they became much more involved thinking of just strategies basically i did notice that for both german and arabic initially as iran and italy were the two countries that were hit pretty hard after china they were discussed a lot and they were discussed more so in arabic um, newspapers than in german ones I think the, Italy and Iran became much more interesting than China um, because it, it just became so real that the virus has traveled to a different country. Um, I think what I'd like to touch on, um, this is something I'm quite interested in outside of this research, is minority languages and how they were affected or not during this pandemic. Most countries, as far as I'm aware, operate in at least two languages, if not sometimes three or more. And quite often, um, if the languages are represented by the media, that's great. For instance, um, a lot of the ex-Soviet Union countries operate in their home language, as well as Russian. But Russian itself has, I think, over 100 minority languages, which are like Tatar, Chechen, Mansikanti, and like far more. Obviously, they're vastly spread out over the whole size of Russia, and they still have a lot of them quite large populations, some smaller and some are even endangered languages, but still spoken in these communities. I think the inclusion of these languages um, within the media could be and perhaps was problematic. I mean, I haven't done the full research, 
um, as quite often also the media reports in these languages are on a very small scale, but perhaps those communities who do speak in these uh, minority languages didn't get the same access to the knowledge on how the disease works and what are the precautions, what are the circumstances they're living in, um, how to appropriately live their day-to-day -day lives and communicate with others. I think there's a gap there definitely that, that should have been fixed and mended um, because it's quite a large population of Russia that do speak these languages and perhaps either got the advice late or had to rely on poor translations or miscommunications. And it's just not um, reputable enough, I think, for the media outlets to be not given out these, this kind of information. The BBC, or perhaps another news outlet, was facing legal proceedings because they didn't offer enough information in British Sign Language to its viewers, which I, I believe there are regulations, of course, uh, surrounding the fact that all news has to be represented in all the languages within the United Kingdom. So, of course, Welsh and Welsh and Gaelic, etc., and that includes also sign language. Of course, that's a minority in itself. And I believe there was something as well within South Africa that the media was also uh, conducting most of the uh, meetings and interviews in English and perhaps one other main language, but completely excluding 10 other languages used in that country. Um, in terms of Russian, again, kind of going off minority languages, I guess, and how they were affected. In Russian, the pandemic seems to identify more mostly as a societal issue than medical or economic. Uh, people were mostly discussing and the news outlets are mostly discussing how day-to-day -day life has changed with wearing masks and social distancing and um, there not being enough stock available in stores, etc. However, although the ruble dropped and went down quite a bit, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was near 10%, which is a fair amount. It was not really widely discussed by the media at all. And generally speaking, I would say that kind of economic issues weren't discussed as much. There was a huge correlation between words that discussed human life and the world. I think there was a big moral debate about human life and people were questioning how long they have left and if the world's about to end. And that sparked a lot of debates. And I think in French, I remember the, there was um, on some days of the research, similar notions. People were discussing life in the time of coronavirus as well and the impact of it on daily life. In Italian, the media hasn't really used the, the expression we're all in this together, but like mainly siamo nella stessa barca, which means we're all in the same boat, which is very different, right? Which is just not true, especially because it brings up a lot of uh, questions on uh, inequality because it's not true that we're all in the same boat on many levels on in terms of on, on an emotional level on a financial level on a social level on a linguistic level as well if you think about uh, connecting or um, connecting uh, you know like languages and and people something that I found uh, really positive I think that Italian media though have done a very good job tackling this and something that I found really positive is that in the list um, that I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast, the words beyond the pandemic, there, there are 10 words that, as I said, the we, the Linguistic Association in, uh, in Italy has identified that we used to reflect on the pandemic. And uh, the fourth one is actually diseguaglianza, which is exactly inequality in English. And I found this to be 
uh, very positive because I think it's a, it's a big cultural and social awareness to identify these as one of the things that we should uh, reflect on in the emergency situation. That is wonderful. Thank you very, very much. So this is it from us. Thank you very much for being part of this conversation. We are the Language Acts and Rulemaking Project funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council under the Open World Research Initiative. We have been awarded funding by the King's College King's Together Coronavirus Rapid Response Fund for its proposal, Rulemaking in the Time of COVID-19. Please do follow Language Acts Project at languageacts.org and at languageacts on Twitter. And please, please feel free to share your story or multilingual resources with us. Thank you.